economy good, capital markets so, so bad. If you're a multifamily investor, active passive, you're someone that's in the industry, this is the YouTube show podcast that's designed especially to help keep you up to date, right up to speed on everything that's going on in the multifamily industry, commercial real estate, housing, general macro economy. Join you every week by producer Dr. Matt Bosnagel, Director of Communications and Marketing here at Great Capital. Incredible reports, CoreLogic, RealPage, Newmark, Cushman Wakefield, Rent Cafe, MSCI. Again, housing looks great. The economy is looking maybe too strong. Capital markets, not so much. And maybe we've got some uh, steeper waves up ahead of us. We're going to break down into every aspect, every nook and cranny of these reports. Stick around for the whole episode. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the report. Thank you again for joining us on a beautiful summer day. Um, Matt. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Once again, great set of reports Thank put you. together. Um, as simple as, I was asking her before we started, yeah. what's the theme? Economy good, housing good, looking much better than expected, capital markets, financing, any of this good looking stuff. Yeah. Not looking too good or easy. Yeah. Interest rates have gone kind of the opposite direction. Maybe some of this has to do with that whole the whole debt ceiling um, debate and debacle that yeah. maybe looks like we're getting ourselves through. Maybe I don't know. It's I've always kind of discounted, optimistic. To, yeah, but I, they always figure it out. Yeah, it's, oh, it's yeah, all rhetoric. Sure. I mean, if you're going to negotiate, you have to take an extreme position. You know, if you had a bunch of you know, if yep, whether you're a congressional Democrat or mm-hmm. Republicans or you know the president, you if you bring on a consultant, consulting expert on negotiating, mm-hmm. they're going to tell you to you know keep that those anchors so low and be extreme and use the the fringe yep. members of your party, whichever side, yes, to get as much as possible. It's hard to not interpret. I'm not going to name names, but. Some of these names was like, wait, you were reasonable yesterday, and now you're like not being reasonable. I think they're just waiting because also the closer you are to the debt, we've we've been through this too. Closer you are to the deadline, uh, the more leverage can oh, be. Yeah, yeah. time squeeze. You got to get a decision, yeah, and who's and then it's uh, who's going to face the blame. And everyone would, but yeah. um, you know that blame can be moved around um, pretty uh, tactically by you know, the media and, yeah, yeah. and those. So there's a little bit of that, that I think that may just be a little transient, um, that we're moving through, but it's not making things any easier, mm-hmm. especially with people who were hoping to maybe refinance at the end of this year yeah, or, you know, this year, um, or looking to buy something. Um, you know, it wasn't, it was a couple of weeks ago, Matt, that, you know, the 10 year treasury was, you know, hovering around like, what, like 3.4%. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were, you could get some good agency debt in the low 5% range, even saw some quotes and, you know, lower leverage, um, in the like, uh, uh, 4.9% range. Wow. Stuff that start, looks really starting to look very attractive. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, with the 10-year moving back up, um, that's no longer the case. So, again, these capital markets are being frustrated. Why don't we dig into this CoreLogic report? Yeah. I'd love to get your your take. They always put out some really interesting totally. stuff. Let's say you, Matt. Let's do it. Um, yeah. So, housing is up. And while it's not up by much, I think it's measurably good for uh, apartment investors. And I think it represents a shift from previous months of negative growth. Um, the small gain in March is the year-over-year number, so it's up 0.7% from last year. And if you look at the chart, it's very, very easy to see how much momentum was and really still is uh, pushing home price growth into the negative in terms of annual numbers. We could see future months of negative year-over-year, and 
And uh, you, you can look at this chart. There's already for some, according to some of their measurements, whether it's like the 10 city or 20 city average or whatever their grouping is, they have negative numbers for some of their uh, index indices, but their real national average is still 0.7, which is positive. Again, you'll see this and you'll see it falling off a cliff. I think the month over month numbers tell a different story because, um, yeah, could actually be negative. But as is the case with apartment rents during this period of transition, it's much more useful to look at the monthly numbers. Yeah. Um, and the month over month is positive. They used to be negative. You, If you look at this this chart now. I'm going to jump right into real page here in a second because yeah, let's uh, do that. They have a much more revealing chart. It really compares year over year and month over month. That's all I wanted to see. <laughs> and and God bless Core Logic. They've got a lot of good information about specific markets, specifically how Chicago has yeah. rebounded. Um, but I want to know year over year and month over month how that relates to each other. Now this is the real story. You look at the year over year going down, still going down, but the month over month. Yeah, what's that, Matt? It's some uh, some crossing of lines there. You know, yeah. I think uh, a tech uh, tech a technician may say that means something. And I think too, it's it's easy to see the month over month the small because the the month over month right now for the for listeners the month over month is this bumpy a little bump on the ground. <laughs> yeah, the real hill is the annual. Um, but I'm telling you that the fluctuation that you see around March of 2022 as that went down and it stayed down into the negatives really by from June of 2022 to uh like let's see uh April, or what was it Feb February of this year yeah. February March that period is going to result that's what's dr driven this decline of annual prices. Yeah. So we're fighting against really almost a whole year of negative price growth. Exactly. Um, monthly price growth. Now we're just beginning to see positive price growth. I don't think I think this is definitely a case where the story and the trend and the new thing that's happening is that prices are home prices are going up a little bit, but you're going to see negative headline numbers that I don't think people should pay attention well, to. Well, it's what narrative do you want to be uh, pushing? I think I think the reality though, yeah. and I think that the for those who are covering this, um you know, as unbiased as they can be, and mm -hmm. in rega really regardless of what your motivation is, the housing sector is holding up much yes. better than most would have anticipated. Mm -hmm. Most would have, would have anticipated by now with interest rates being as high as they are and for so long because it takes time for the higher interest rates to really kind of seep into like the real economy, mm -hmm. you'd see um, deeper price discounts. But in reality... I mean, not only, I mean, maybe we've seen some declines, but if we're seeing maybe ticked back up and, you know, a relatively, you know, mm -hmm. hot housing market or at least a moderate housing market. Yeah. And again, you know, this is these slight losses or these slight gains are compounding mm -hmm. off the incredible growth a couple of years ago. So it's not like we're seeing double digit, you know, price drops mm -hmm. you know, at, at all. So we're really, we're just barely adjusting off the huge increases in the, the values of those single family homes. Yeah. But the true price or the cost to own one has gone up so much more yeah. than just like the underlying value of the what your monthly mortgage payment is. That's what's still staying up there. Mm -hmm. And that we would have thought that would have started bringing those prices down, but it just it just hasn't. It just yeah. hasn't. And again, that it 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 goes to show. I mean, we can talk about how rocky the economy. Is, is and we may be on you know, the edge of a cliff and there could be waves and all those things you know uh, can easily be true but we also should acknowledge that there are areas of the economy that are doing you know are very strong yeah now is that like the last like burst of energy before something 
yeah. easily could be. Mm-hmm. A lot of these indicators are lagging. Um, you know, there's strong jobs reports uh, yeah. that came out today. I uh, saw that too. Strong hiring. Mm-hmm. Job numbers are looking good. Um, but again, that's all, those are all lagging indicators. If something happens, you know, we're not looking at what the jobs were before something happened. It's, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's after and in, in the future. So there's a lot to be happy about that. At least we're doing as well as we are right now. Yeah. Conversely, though, it's frustrating for the Federal Reserve as they're waiting to see it. They want inflation to be brought down. They're waiting to see, you know, housing come down in yep. wages as a way to kind of just pour water on the, you know, the coals of the economy. Um, but they're not seeing, um, you know, they're pouring water on, but, you know, water's evaporate, evaporating and it's, it's too hot. Yeah. Yeah. That's and that's what makes me nervous. It's like I feel bad being optimistic, but I do think. It, almost independent of the economic anxiety that we've that, that still is present, but maybe in a slightly smaller form. But people are still anxious about recession. That's yeah. still on the tip of everyone's tongue. Um, housing demand, though, it seems to be just pushing right through, yeah. pushing right through inflation and mortgage rates and all this yeah. stuff. I do think it does redound to the benefit of the apartment market if even in this like elevated mortgage rate environment, people are still want people are still pursuing. Buying a house, the desire, then... yeah, and yeah, the, the desire. Well, one again, it's a need. Mm-hmm. You know, we can shelter as a, just a necessity for life. And then if people are in a position where they can, you know, they're not thinking about it as an investment. Yeah, buying the top of the market, they're looking at it from their quality of life standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, of I, I, you know, yeah, I know that I'm going to be paying a high interest rate. Maybe I can refinance later. Maybe not. But this is what I want for myself and my family. You know, yeah, and we can make it work, and we can afford it. Let's do it. Yeah, I think the surprising thing to a lot of people is that people, there's some people that can afford it and they can do it. Yeah, um, wages have been rising, mm-hmm. which is which is you know good for the housing market. Yeah, rentals or for sale. So I I, I think that these are these are good signs. It is, uh, but if there's any, if it's a sign of anything, I think it may be a sign that in interest rates. Could could remain higher for for longer. There's not maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It's like these are these are the prices that that a lot of things that they're attuned to, and I don't see any reason why they would why they would. If prices ha- aren't though, without some additional catalyst, what is going to push prices lower right yeah. now? I yeah. mean, there's not a because there are enough buyers coming to meet the few sellers. Mm-hmm. And there are fewer sellers than there ever have been before, but everyone is so many people have locked, especially talking single family homes, yep. so many people have locked in a low interest rate. You're not going to get me to move. I bought the house that I wanted. Yep. Even if you like, I don't love this house, like it's, it's hard to justify and selling and moving right now. Again, unless you yeah. really- And builder and home builder confidence is up too. Yep. And that's really responsive to like where they think, where housing demand might be. Because if, if supply is low enough, if they're confident, because it used to be supply was low and they weren't so confident, but now that demand has kind of started to pick up, they're I think feeling a little better. Is a push for household formation because people are yeah. forming families, or they, they've they've started to form a family, and they're like, we need to get in that. That people are listening to, you know, their their you know internal bodily clocks. They're thinking about their family. They're thinking about where they see themselves now and in the next couple of years. And when you're, you know, thinking about settling down and getting married and having kids, which mm-hmm. is what the, like the most, the median age folks in like the early mid thirties are thinking about doing. Mm-hmm. 
they are also they're like i need to get ourselves set up like we need some stability i don't want to be moving around I, i've i've jumped around you know rentals for the past couple of years i want to sign i either want to buy a house i can stay in for a long time or i want to rent i want to move and rent somewhere that i can stay in for a long time mm-hmm. and we got the room i can see ourselves growing into yeah and that desire for that life i think is uh, much more important than looking at an ROI and looking yeah. at it as an investment, which is why we've said, and many other people have said, you just, you, you never look at your house as an investment or really even as like an asset, even though it like totally. technically can be an asset, you know, it's much more of a liability and it, it's more of just, it, it's a, it's like what kind of car you want and what kind of clothes you're going to wear. Yeah. Um, you know, we, you can get from A to B in the bus or on a bike. But, you know, a nice, you know, SUV is, you know, a fun way to do it. It's kind of, but certainly isn't necessary. Yeah. Same thing, same thing with closing with housing. You got to have, you have to live somewhere. You have to yeah. have shelter. But then when it's like, I want a certain lifestyle that's being prioritized. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, the experiences over like things, mm-hmm. even though like a house is a thing, it's also an experience. It's living an yeah. experience every single day. Yeah. And I think that is overriding the... You know, is this a good financial decision? I don't think people really care. Well, I think it leads into uh, into the next Rent Cafe article. Oh, Let's go. Rise of build rent. Maybe not. Mm. Maybe you're not buying it, but maybe you do want to live in a house. You do have kids. You want a yard, maybe. Or maybe. you want you want a home, four walls. You don't share a wall with anyone. Maybe you go build the rent. Yeah. And uh, the big headline here is that it's three times what does it say new build to rent hit record with three times as many houses under construction three times as many as what well they don't say it in the headline but they do in the article well i for reference i think the first like btr built to rent like community was yeah. in indiana was sold like not that long ago That's so what it's I- such a new asset class it's been going on for like in, yeah. in the sunbelt mm-hmm. in other markets um and obviously people have been buying and renting single family homes for a long time and putting them in, in areas next to each other. And yeah. I've got a, you know, I've got a couple houses on a block. So it's not like a true new concept, but the way of thinking about it as it's unique strategy yeah. of like, you no, know, this thing right here that mm-hmm. we're going to build, these homes are going to be, we're going to build again, we're going to build the house to rent. We're usually single family neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. I, uh, I think that, okay. Okay. So this three times is actually, so compared to all of the built to rents, that were completed last year, mm-hmm. there are now three times as many built rents under construction. Um, okay. These are homes, houses. Um, again, the point is they're building a lot of them. And specifically, they're building these planned subdivisions and not just one-off homes in established neighborhoods. Now, I think what's kind of interesting, I've, I've heard headlines that actually investment in these one-off homes, investment in single-family homes in general is down. Yeah. Um, but this build to rent seems like if there's all these under construction, then that's that's up. Yeah. Um, I think the interesting thing is, is like, I'm interested in, you talked a lot about lifestyle and about how you're going in there because you have kind of certain expectations. And I think that there, when I think of build to rent, and this is just my own stereotype, is a negative stereotype of a bunch of beige cookie cutter, single story houses around a retention pond. And there's not a whole lot of variety. Maybe you get a yard, maybe you don't. Um, But that is my, and and I think that there's a real, uh, a real space here for some innovation, for some kind of design yeah. and landscaping, um, really some attention paid to. You go in, you have a, a more welcoming feel than really just like a block of houses that all look the same. Yeah. I, well, I, I think the same criticism applies to like most like 
subdivisions. It's, yeah, that's there, true. there are some that are pretty like bare bones of vanilla, and maybe some. And, and I mean, some people I think like that. To be honest, yeah, yeah. and no, some people no don't frills. care. And some people don't care. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're moving your, you know, adult parent, adult parent, you know, elderly parent, mm-hmm. you know, downsizing, you're looking for low, as low maintenance as possible. Maybe, maybe that is exactly yeah. what, um, is right for, is right for you. But no, but I think that conversely, there's a, there is a big demand for mm-hmm. just reason for high, a lot of amenities, nice landscaping, the same, yeah. all the things that, you know, we've been doing on high end luxury, a class apartment That's, communities. Yeah. It's uh, you think about, and this is the difference between build to rent now and where it's going versus just like some single family homes. Yeah, and it's where some subdivisions have gone also of having you know community centers like a mm-hmm. garden style suburban apartment community has a community center. Yeah. with a you know a community pool and nice fitness and you mm-hmm. know some community space and you know maybe just some more community amenities. Yeah, I think there's a big there's a wide range. It's all going to be on the little bit of the higher end because mm-hmm. the rent price point is going to be a little more expensive than, you know, a two bedroom apartment. But I think that there is certainly demand for a very, very high end of what you would more get in a like luxury single family home. Mm-hmm. And I think there's going to be, uh, I think, and this is the concern is that some of these homes are going to be built, you know, relatively cheaply. Yeah. Because you don't have that buyer that like yeah. that owner occupant that's going to be like yeah. doing that last walk through. Mm-hmm. I mean, you heard, you hear horror, you know, horror stories of just, you know, for sale, you know, for the homes that people are going to live in, mm-hmm. you know, some of these builders that are, you know, putting up thousands of homes, the build yeah. quality can be really bad. Now imagine you don't actually have an owner. Owner who cares? You got a project manager who's supposed to be managing, you know, building, you know, building of twenty or forty or a hundred of these homes. Yeah, is everything going to be, you know, done at a high quality? I think that I think that's a big question on some of these communities. How well were they actually built? What is the yeah. maintenance going to look like? And, and that therein lies um, a little bit of a challenge and risk to investors. While I think it's a great a concept, some that we're leaning into heavily. What are the differences in management? Like what, what does maintenance look like? Because, you know, on traditional multifamily, one mm-hmm. of the advantages is, well, instead of, you know, a hundred roofs, I've got, you know, 10 roofs or so yeah. or, or five roofs um, versus now I've, I'm going back to a hundred roofs now, but they're all in the same area. Mm-hmm. So, but it's still do, it's a lot more roofs to fix. Maybe- I don't know if the market's been mature enough for there to be like a real cycle of you build this and then it gets sold off. The guy has to fix the next, you know, no, the next person fixes not it. One. They not one. They haven't gotten I mean, to the part where, you know, a, maybe the next owner has taken over. And so may, I don't know how much it's got to be a consideration. Obviously yeah. they don't want these things to fall down and they have maybe an exit. Yeah. No, the, yeah, the CapEx print. You know, it's all very similar, yeah. but it's just a little bit different that it just, it's going to take some tweaking and it's, it's more than doable. Yeah. And it's not, if you manage apartment communities already, it's not that hard to wrap your head around, but it's just different. And there's going to be better ways to do it and yeah. best practices that still need to be developed. To me, it seems like land is a huge, uh, would be this huge consideration. You've got to find a much bigger plot of land. And I was just looking at pictures too, and some of them have. Some of them are big houses that really dominate the lot, mm. and it's one after the other, and and yeah, there's like no yard, yeah, yeah zero lot line, and but then other ones, there are, you know a lot of smaller houses with big yards. Um, but I think that that the attention to 
yeah, you got to get the space for everyone and, and kind of organize it in a good way that, that makes money, and yeah. but also making it meaningful because every space that you, you know, all the square footage that you're dedicating to a community center or even a retention pond, that's yeah. a place where a house could go. So you've got to make that balance and it probably is going to be more expensive to cut all that grass and to do all the landscaping. Exactly. And some of those zero lot line communities are they're very attractive, whether the managers man cutting the lawn or the um, individual. You never usually want tenants cutting the yeah. lawn; so they don't do it. Yeah. Um. But it's regardless, it's less work. Yeah. A lot, lot less upkeep, a lot less green space. I mean, there's I I don't want to live in in the village of West Clay because it does seem like a like a strange neighborhood I'll never be able to find my way out of. But it looks too so specific. cool. <laughs> that's just so there is a village of West Clay in Indianapolis, Indiana that that is uh that's not built to rent, but it is a pre planned community, I believe. Has a lot of variety of Yeah, master, yeah, it's a master plan. Yeah, so development. So and that's something that with a mix of it's like townhomes, single family homes, yeah, apartments, yeah. condos, some retail sprinkled in here or there. So I yeah, I mean I think it's a better option. I mean Yeah. It's a cool option, but I but sometimes I do feel a little Pleasantville when I go there. Ooh, yeah, the, the, yeah, because that development there's a lot of like architecture that looked like it was like designed in like the 1920s. Yeah, yeah, like it was all brand new and um. But like, but it built, but it, if that was developed, because that was developed about what 20 years ago, 25 years ago, maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe a little. I think so. It started, yeah. And, and I know time flies, yeah. but but if that was being built today, mm -hmm. um, I think they would have a built to rent component. Yeah. Um, and again, I, and that's that's what I see where I see this moving is these mm -hmm. larger master plan developments where you're building a subdivision of where a certain amount of the unit or a certain couple acres are set aside for mm -hmm. build to rent. And so if I'm a developer, um, it, it makes a lot of sense because I can, I don't have to sell. So let's say I'm a developer, I'm going to develop, I don't know, three, uh, 400 home sites. Yeah. Um, instead of selling all 400 homes to individuals or maybe, you know, some lots off to builders, yeah. spec, you know, spec builders, I can sell, I can sell a chunk of 50, hundred to, you know, 150 mm -hmm. off to one buyer that I can either sell, you know, I know what I'm going to get for it because I'm not, yeah. then I'll sell it on certificate of occupancy or as they're completed in phases, mm -hmm. I just sell, I can just, you know, I've got it entitled and I sell them you develop it, but this is where it's going to be. It's got to conform to the master plan development, or I take it all the way and I sell it big. Here's my 50 to 150 units. Just going to sell it as a block and it's mm -hmm. going to work into the part of the development, the community that, yeah, that, um, the lead developers. Yeah. I like, focus on. I like that plan again. Like, no, I don't mean any disrespect to, to villages, play, these master plan communities, yeah. because really they look beautiful. Um, it's, uh, and some are, yeah, yeah, some are better than others. And yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, I think we're going to see people want, there's a ma huge demand for people to live in a mm -hmm. single family home. Yeah. Um, some people like apartments, some people like single family homes. Mm -hmm. it, it's certainly going to be not for everybody because there's going to be costs associated with it. Yeah. Um, but again, following the demographic trends, people getting married, yeah. having kids, not having kids, got a couple dogs, want some room, want some space. Yeah. You, you want to be able to have room for the, you know, throw the water table out with the kids or you know, right. you got your backyard barbecue, your garden, whatever it is, like the, the, that life element. And, and, and in apartments, we've, you know, tried to stay up on that of like, okay, you know, have mm -hmm. a community garden, if I have all these amenities. Yeah. And that's always going to be the most cost effective way to live in with how unaffordable so many things are. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a lot of people that are like, that's the only option. Yeah. And they don't care about a yard. There's always going to be some of those folks, but to a growing, growing percentage, this build a rent is the sweet spot. Yeah. Don't have to have a down payment. 
Mm-hmm. Get everything you want about a house. Yeah. Don't have to mow the lawn. And and this is just, I mean, this is the answer to some of the questions that, that were underlying this housing demand. And, and there's enormous housing demand. People are still buying homes. Yeah. There is a low supply of homes. This A lot of the solution should be, I think, build to rent just because I think people save money. For the house for renting versus buying. So you you invest you buy, you live in a build to rent deal, and then you yeah. invest with great capital if you're an accredited investor. Ah, uh, that's good. And so instead of you know who knows you, you're gonna because you, you're gonna if you would have bought that house you probably would have overpaid. You weren't mm-hmm. paying attention. Yeah. Who knows? It's gonna depreciate. You have to put money into it. You're gonna be putting in you know ten grand plus a year. Yeah. Or you could just rent. You know exactly what your cost is. You know plus utilities. You throw that, you know, hundred grand that you saved up, you throw it to great capital and you're a credit investor, and that turns into over three years, three hundred grand, three exit. What's, you know. That's a really good, you know, lease that's a really good leasing strategy. Just so tell people Don't buy thinking about buying a home, let's let me get on my Still, calculator. It's like you had the idea, and again, people were like, Well, people build so much wealth because they buy yeah. homes. It's not because they're investing in a house, it's mm-hmm. because they are making a they're finally getting invested. They've yeah. got this cash set aside and they're finally making a large investment. And you could say you make that a large investment in the stock market. Mm-hmm. You could say you can make it in real estate. If you're invested in the stock market, you want to invest it in you know, probably an index fund makes sense mm-hmm. or you know a conservative strategy. You're investing in real estate, invest it in the best real estate that's going to throw off cash and it's yep. going to grow. And I've said this so many times, but like the chances of that real estate strategy that's going to throw off cash and grow lining up with the place that you want to live almost never like yeah. coincides. Yeah. Like again, is it a are you making a mistake and have you made a mistake because you bought a home? No. Like absolutely not. But I'm just saying we need to get a move away from like, well, if I want to grow wealth, I need to buy a house. It can be I want to live in a house, mm-hmm. but I'm going to think about my wealth growing opportunities as a separate conversation. Yeah. And if they happen to coincide, maybe that that like that's great. Yeah. But um if you separated the two, you may come to different conclusions. Yeah. I think it'd be eye opening and it's not it's not a thought that a lot of people have. Yeah. You know, put that money to a little bit better work than paying off a mortgage. Yeah. Because like let's say, you know, people, you know, um, borrow money from their parents or get gifts from their parents, mm-hmm. you know, for a down payment. So let's say it's, you know, fifty thousand dollars or mm-hmm. something. Um throw that in you know, invest into like a real estate investment that's focused on maximizing return and down risk yeah. mitigation. Or they're in the stock market and, you know, again, a, a smart strategy into the stock market, mm-hmm. um, people would be building wealth just as quickly and maybe even quicker because they're actually thinking about it as an investment yeah. as opposed to like accidentally building a wealth make, well, I, I looked around and my house was actually yeah. worth a lot more. Look at that. Yeah. But I've also be putting money into, you know, mm-hmm. so fascinating stuff. Yeah. Um, Mary, Very interesting. Do you want to move on to- Yeah, this, totally. Um, Let's talk uh, about it. Mark investing. report. Let's talk about capital markets. Again, we talked about the economy doing so well. Um, it's doing too damn well for yeah. Jay Powell. And that has been, man, some frustrating capital markets. Or are they, you know, they're still not um, cooperating with us, man. Oh, no, they're not. They are, they're just, they don't want to cooperate. <laughs> they want to be difficult. Um, and Newmark has a nice summary and report for us. Yeah. So right out of the gate, and and I didn't really even, because they, they've got a, the summary, that's a wall of bullet points that really summarize where we're at. Um, I've challenged myself here to distill these 
this wall of bullet points even further. Yeah, um, <laughs> this, this is a lot of bullet points. This is what was on here first, man. It, I know that's why I said because it has a visual I, effect. I, I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't want to start everybody with just the wall of <laughs> it's, bullet points. It's a little bit scary. Are you ready? Um, um, but yeah, I've I want to run through these really quick. I've challenged myself to distill these transitions, man. Oh yeah, I like that. It's a classy fade, <laughs> right? I mean, this. I mean, before it was this little, little, um, little just rough, just just rough cut. That's fine. Anyway, mm. both points continue. That's yeah, we did. So, digress. Um, I I get a, one of them's longer than than the bullet points, but everything else here, I got a quick short summary. So, gonna go, are you going to through all these bullet points? I, well, I have them grouped into categories so we can dive okay. in and dive out. I don't all say sure. Um, okay. So first group is fundamentals. Um, so the average multifamily rents about $699 cheaper than the median home payment, which is just what we were talking about. Um, another aside, and so this is not in the new mark report, but with um, 30 year mortgage rates hovering around 6.5, it hasn't been this high since the, since uh, the great recession. Mm. And, and that's, I think that that's a really yeah. It's really interesting. It's like almost generational, but definitely within people's like financial memory is, uh, you know, people aren't used to this uh, no. mortgage rate. So it's a no. little bit of uncharted waters. Yeah. No, you, everyone has to. I mean, it's it's funny, but it, people. people uh, parents maybe Exactly. It, it's so uh, how many times have you seen Matt? People be like, well, my 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 dad had a eight percent mortgage, and we were yeah, happy yeah. to get it. That's right. We that's, we th we thanked the man. Well, I talked. I we thanked him. I've talked to someone that was like, "Well, I remember, that and I got it." <laughs> but and but like we all and like that is true, and all mm -hmm. things are relative. Um, you know, it's not historically necessarily the case. Yeah, yeah. Because those high uh, mortgage rates, um. It was defining where we have market. today. Are, are I mean, five percent has been like historic, a good historic average for interest rates yeah. in general over like past couple um, thousand years. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's true. In the late seventies and early eighties, we had a huge um, blow up. Um, if I can uh, make, if I can make anything work, here we go. Oh, but beautiful. So yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're still low. I mean, these are mortgage rates compared. So we're you know we're at six point three nine percent today, Matt, compared to back in you know the mid eighties, nineteen you know eighty eighty one, where we peaked at eighteen percent. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. And this doesn't go back any further, um, which is frustrating. But I mean, we basically we're back. I mean, before that run up, we were in kind of in the mid seven percent range. Yeah. And then since you know, uh, call it nineteen eighty seven. You know, we've been on a downward trend mm -hmm. for a lot of different reasons. And this is the app. I, I just, I still believe, and again, here, let's just go back to um, the 10-year treasury because this will paint the picture a little bit more. Again, we have a long, so I, I mean, rates were mortgage. This is, these, this is the 10-year treasury rate, all right? Mm -hmm. um, which most 30-year mortgage rates are based on 30-year, on the, on the 30, yeah, on a 10 year trip. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and then, um, there's you typically a spread added on, or it, it, it's it's relative. Okay, you can see the the so the spike, Matt, in the 80s and 70s. I mean, this is a relative aberration, relative again, if we go back even further. This is not typical. We've been on a long trend down now. Are things going to go up for a little while, like absolutely, and stay up into this range? A absolutely is the case, but we haven't dealt with this just the 10 year for. Um, you know, over uh, over a decade, and then as to your point, mortgage rates. So let's go back to where where we started. 
pretty much the same picture. I mean, very similar picture, but I mean, yeah, we haven't hit this rate since. I mean, yeah, I mean, basically the 90s. Now, I'm wondering if a little bit of the different movement of mortgage rates is due to if there's not a lot of homes being bought, do are banks incentivized to lower the mortgage just a little bit? Or is that, or is there no, is it basically just the 10 year? You know, I'm not a, I'm not an expert on 30 or more, 30 year mortgages, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I, 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 we were talking just before this about some of these places where like the mortgage, the 30 year mortgage will dip just a little bit and you'll see from sources like now it's time to buy your home now, no, no, no. And so there's a little bit of uh, I, like magic and, <laughs> and mystery to, to some of these mortgage rate fluctuations. But I think that the general story is that they're going down, but I, you know, for as high as they are right now, the fact there still is demand yeah. is a really big, um, really big statement to housing demand. Um, okay, so back to kind of um, the the apartment fundamentals. the The rents are six hundred ninety nine dollars cheaper than the median home payment due to high mortgage rates, which which we just covered. And also, the second bullet point is that after three consecutive quarters of negative apartment absorption. Q1 2023 saw positive numbers to the tune of 19,243 units, and demand is projected to keep increasing through the year at a level, quote, above the, well above the average. I'm sorry, not just above the average, but well above the average. So I think that is fantastic news. Again, still jibes with this increased demand. Um, Number bullet point three, supply is up. It will see a large increase expected to reach nearly 550,000 in 2023 and an all-time high of 588 in 2024. Now, we have talked about this before. I think supply is uh, open question. Yeah, they never know. Yeah, they, they, they especially- always overestimate yeah, supply. Yeah, yeah. It'll probably come on the opposite side. They'll probably undercount it. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, a I agree. Years, but. Um, so uh, number bullet point four, so these are out of 11. Bullet point four, vacancies have increased. Uh, all 11. I can fly through so fast. <laughs> Vacancies have increased, but at 5.2% quarterly and 4.4% trailing 12 months, we're still well below the 5. Point, well, we're still below the 5.4% average. I think that um, vacancies are looking probably better lately than they were um, than they were in late 2022. So not only are you not summarizing, Matt, you are um, adding additional commentary to these bullet points. I'm trying. I'm trying. Just I am tempted. What, look, just read. The, just read the bulb. The bulb. Oh yeah, that's actually that's actually true they, because I had done, a big they've question. Done your work for you. All right. So that's the fundamentals. Um, now loans. Q1 debt originations are down 55 percent year over year. Uh, far less people are getting new loans. That's a uh, that's pretty easy to see why because they're so high. Um, Here, bank- let, me, let me try this next yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Try this next one, man. Okay. Okay, bank and debt fund maturities have he- are heavily concentrated in 2023 to 2025. These are the loans most likely to encounter distress. Okay, so this is the one that I couldn't understand. Bank and debt. So these bank and debt maturities are concentrated, but the government sponsored the GSE debt, the bulk of which comes comes uh, due in the latter half of the decade. Then they say that. This is like a very poorly worded bullet point, and you did the Lord's work in just summarizing it with the bullet. I didn't, I, but they did the, I just read what they bolded. Yeah, I know, but I read the words and the words there. You, you read too many words. Yeah. Yeah. The, the less is less is more. The, the one piece though that could also be bolded is the 47% of securitized debt maturing in 23, 24 have a DSCR of 1.5 or less. 
Now, this DSCR, you know, may or may not be up to date relative, um, you know, to current performance, but that basically means that they can cover their mortgage one and a half times. So I can cover my mortgage and then I've got basically 50% more yeah. mortgage payment available or less. Uh, and that's what the or less, because I've heard DSCR 1.5 is like not horrible. No, that no, 1.5 is good. Minimum is usually 1.25. Okay. So, but the or less part makes me think that- Yeah, like, that means they could all be one yeah, or yeah. none. So, uh, but the upshot to all of that is- They could have, le- they could have left this last. See, again, yeah. again, the, you were getting caught up in the more, too just, much information. All of the bull. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's try this one. You, you go just read the bold. Sales volumes down 64.4% and 51.9% quarter over quarter. It's likely to remain subdued until values have adjusted to higher rates. Yep. Makes sense. Can't do that. Okay. I'll do the next one. Allocation to multifamily among U.S. commercial real estate declined from 40% in 2022 to 29.9 in the first quarter of 2023. Okay, so I people are still investing in multifamily. That's the next piece of thing to add. Yeah, well, that's what I, uh, that's exactly. Either way, multifamily is still the tops when it comes to capital allocation. And my question was, if it went down from forty point two to twenty nine point nine, that's a huge amount. I think that that's new capital. I don't think that that's existing capital has has allocated from like multifamily to like. Industry. Well, what are they? What, what, where? Where is it being allocated to? If not, because um, it's not like just in general. Yeah, I don't. Well, know, but... no, they're not. I guess it's not. Not, you know, to multifamily among U.S. commercial real estate. So that means relative to other commercial real estate, where it's typically forty percent, it's down to thirty percent. That seems like a very where, 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 where I guess I'm just curious where the money flowed to, if not to multifamily. Yeah, I, I that there was a little bit of an open question, um, but and they're also yeah. basically saying it's with kind of within the range. Yeah, yeah. So. Okay, okay, your turn, man. All right, cap rates up 50 basis points since Q2 2022, moving in line with BAA corporate bond yield of 5.7. Yep, yep. Next one. Well, this this, number 11. We're gonna, this is it, this is it. Um, <laughs> this would be a great time to subscribe. To that's the, right, to that's the right. Hey, I think that the podcast, the this this is really doing well in, in the audio form. Yeah, yeah, if people aren't I'm banging their head against the wall. No, this is all good. These are all the facts, <laughs> straight to your head. Although total returns fell into negative growth in the first quarter of 2023, Income growth remains durable as much of the slowdown returns came out of declining appreciation. Yeah, Matt, this is something we've been talking about quite a bit, quite a bit. And this is again just it's a it, it's a this you know shift. It's a shift um, for, away from more speculative growth investing mm-hmm. and back to more value investing, focused on yeah. the reality and in place cash flow and income relative mm-hmm. to. Well, um, you know, cap rates are going to keep compressing and, you know, yeah, I'm going to increase, you know, revenue, but really just the market appreciation. Market appreciation is what has driven the vast majority of returns over the last couple mm-hmm. of years. Again, if you were a great operator and did a great job operating a property, you know, you got, you know, you, you got a great return. If you were a poor operator and ran the place almost into the ground and sold it, you still got a good return. Mm-hmm. So there, there wasn't a lot. It's difficult to separate between who's really doing a good job and who is just getting a good return because of appreciation. The yeah. market helped them out rather than actual operations. The focus is going to shift to buying right and operating right. Yeah, which is again, it, it's different from what we've been dealing with in in the past. And so that that last point was really good. Well, we we've gone through all the bullet points, Matt. Does the report? I mean, other than some really nice charts and graphs, yeah. Any anything else to really pull? Um, 
I like from it. I got some good graphs. I got good graphs. Should we show yeah. people until? Yeah, oh, totally. What, totally. What's, what's well? Okay. I like what's, this. What's your favorite one? I like this graph of of owning versus renting because it's something that that comes up in a. We're just talking about that. Yeah, in other in other reports, it, it, there's a little bit of a dip in uh in the cost of ownership. So the home prices have seemed to have come down a little bit, but I still think um it's it, there's such a gulf between these two numbers. It's way cheaper to rent than it is to own, and I almost wonder. Is like, is this really apples to apples now? They are comparing the median mm. monthly home payment. So it's not like millionaires are skewing the average. So yep, this is the median. True. I would Gotta love to point. know like a square foot. If you take equal square footage. Oh, um, oh, yeah. Because like single family homes are often bigger than an apartment. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, but I still think that it is that it, it you take one look at the at the still hot um, at home buying market. And compared to the rental market, where, where rent growth is not growing as much as uh, home prices have grown, it that's so it's an easy it's an easy answer. I yeah. just want to it would be interesting to see what other measurements. That yeah, if there's some way to equalize it, and and um, yeah, and maybe there's not a straightforward way to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe doing it by a square foot square yeah. footage of like at least trying to like compare. And there may even be similar easy, square footages. Yeah, there may be an easy way to footage. do like if we could find so that if that's the median home payment. Then we can find the median home square footage, yep. and then the median apartment. Then, then maybe we're there. But I'll, I'll do that next week. I was, was going to say <laughs> that it sounds like you're making some work for yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um. And uh, we should save this um, chart map because this is a good one. Oh yeah. Um. Anything else? Shortage of new housing, particularly in the past decade, has amplified demand. We've talked about this a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, in general, not just us, but ad nauseum. Of again, this is the whole idea of we had just didn't build enough housing over the last. Um. Not. You know, really, the last decade and a half or so post a great financial crisis. Um, I mean, just like the de decade averages were were yeah. just you know it's it's rough, um, and multifamily has really started picking up, but um, not enough to to fill the gap. Matt, any any thoughts? I mean, this yeah, is, it's uh, interesting to see. It's not there. It, multifamily, especially even in the last few years, when when there was a lot of demand for apartments. It's it hasn't been like uniformly we're building we're building we're building they'll build a lot and then they won't build as much and then they'll build a lot and then they won't build as much it seems like we're still it's still not I mean again compared to the last couple of decades um, I mean we're st there's a lot of building on, going on right now but I mean again it still doesn't even doesn't even compare to the last couple of decades they're yeah. just the, yeah. the complete fall off between um, you know 2006 and um, so really till 12, till things just got started. And yeah. even in 2023, Q1 2023, we're not even back to 2004 levels or so. Yeah. It's, uh, that's, it's very weird. Well, kind of 2003 levels, which things are getting overheated, but we were in a completely different environment for many reasons. Yeah. It looks like they, they really started to build a lot of apartments during the, during the great recession, this lower line here. Um, which represents the share of apartments yeah. versus uh, single family home. Total, yeah. It's uh, it it really came so basically from 1993 to 2007, there was less apartments being built. Period, and yeah, then it more started family homes started ramping up, and and that's still you know, that's part of the equation here, and it and you can definitely see the fall off on total homes built. Uh, it really just just falls off a cliff. Yeah, that's pretty pretty dramatic. Yeah. But I do say so myself. Yeah. Any other graphs before we move on um, to, um, you know, there's a lot of great stuff in this report. It's a good report. I recommend you check it out. 
You can always check this stuff out by you know subscribing to the Gray Report mm-hmm. newsletter. Hop on over to graycapitalllc.com slash newsletter and get all these reports, plus a lot more, sent to your inbox twice a week, man. You get a full report on Thursday, right. Sunday, you get a quick quick update. What did you miss throughout mm-hmm. the week? Um, I, man, I was told uh, last week by uh, mm-hmm. an apartment owner. Yeah. They own about 27,000 unit apartment units. Okay. He said, he said, your guy's newsletter is incredible. He's like, it is exactly what you need to be looking at and paying attention to. And he, and he said, it's so hard to stay on top of it. And you're so busy finding deals, managing your deals. Mm -hmm. He goes, that email comes in. It's like exactly what I need. This is like, this is it. I've got the, I've got the reports. Yeah. It's exactly why we started doing it. Mm -hmm. You're like, there's all this great data that's out there and reports, but it's hard to find. And, and we were talking about this yesterday. The real estate, commercial real estate, apartments specifically, a lot of people are writing a lot of things all the time. Yeah. It is one of the more uh, prolific, one of the, people love to talk. It's a big industry. And they write a lot. There's a lot of publications that come come on. And a lot of times you can fill up a newsletter with stuff that's, uh, maybe it's not like a great report, but it'll, you can give 50 articles a day, I'm sure. A lot of it's going to be who bought and who sold stuff. But like. You got to separate the wheat from the chaff. And that's yeah. what I try to do every week. And, and if you're just doing it on your own, it just, it's, it's hard to separate. And then it's hard to find a lot of this stuff. It's all siloed yeah. on different, yeah. you know, um, companies, websites, research reports. Mm-hmm. Some it's behind paywalls. Some of it you just have to register. Yeah. They're not, I mean, they're not sending emails out. Mm-hmm. That's why that I started, we started um, doing this because I kept running, into, I kept finding reports that were old and stale. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't know this came out. This came out two months ago. Now yeah. it's old. Yeah. Not that it was worthless, but it would have been more, it would have been much more valuable a couple months earlier. So we started putting it all together, aggregating. Matt does, you do a great job um, every I week. I built up some kind of like spinal cord twitch reflex for like People finding like, the report, you, getting, getting yeah. it on the paywall. Yeah, <laughs> no, kind of um, yeah, no, the, multiple times. Um, it, uh, people were like, I don't know how you guys do that. I'm like, well, fortunately I don't do it. It's like, I... <laughs> we've tried to get, I've tried to get AI to do it. Yeah. It's not there quite yet, but it'll take my job yeah. Yeah. next week probably. Well, so hop on over to greatcapitalllc.com slash newsletter to make sure you're signed up for that. And you know, while you're on the Great Capital website, check us out. If you're a credit investor, we'd love to have a conversation with totally. you about all of this stuff and more. Um, Matt, you want to move on to yes. um, MSCI? MSCI. Now, prices of all major U.S. property types fell in April. So this is not a, this shouldn't be news to anyone. Um, and this monthly update is always fairly short, but I, I always think it really just packs a punch because it's got this great graph where you see where the property values are. Um, and that, you know, perfectly is a reflection of the sluggish uh, capital markets that we just talked about. Yeah. Um, so for a uh, headline summary, apartments are declining the most declining 12.1% year over year compared to a 9.4% fall for for all CRE properties, a 6 point, I'm sorry, 6% descent for retail assets, a 6.9% drop for office commercial real estate and industrial properties sank by a scant Mm 0.8%. I almost had to pull up the the thesaurus for synonyms of dropping, sinking, falling, descending. Declining, I think I put those in there. Are all, uh, those are all good descent. Yeah, dissenting. Um, yeah. Any, any other good ones? Uh, yeah. I, I almost said dip, but I don't think that it is, uh, it's fair to call it a dip. It is definitely a fall, a yeah, drop. A maybe. drop. Um, but here's the thing. On the most logical, straight ahead view of this, this is not 
this is not great. This is less money for people who are going to invest in these properties. Well, except for industrial properties, which are doing like pretty much just dandy. <laughs> and even though you're supposed to keep your eyes on the horizon, look at the fundamentals, you know, um, and not let price fluctuations distract you when you've got a long-term mindset. Yeah. I don't want to disregard the cold facts here. And they are cold and, and I don't like it. This means less money for people. Um, now, well, what's the... Um... Sorry, Matt, not yeah. interview. What what what's their methodology on this when they're saying prices are declining? Is that an estimating of um like fair value based on where cap rates are, or is that based on actual sales data and transactions? Is this where they're saying they think prices should be? I'm or where prices actually are based on transactions. I'm guessing it's transactions. That's a, that, that's a big difference. Yeah, I would like to look at their methodologies, but whether it's an estimate based on where they expect things to go or a reflection of, you know, actual transactions that take that took place. Um, it's not a surprise that this that this you're, you're right. Strong. And I'm not saying it's wrong, but it, it would be we're, I just want to make sure we're talking about um, the same. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about the same thing, because, again, you know, for in order to have, you know, like a market to work and for their to, to know the price of something, to discover mm -hmm. the price. And when we're not sure there has to be like transactions. Yeah. And so let's say, you know, let's say there's a trillion dollars worth of commercial real estate out yeah. there and one transaction takes place mm -hmm. and let's say it's for a, you know, six cap and that's a 20% discount to, you know, what the, what the world all was. Them, all Is everything valued? Yeah. Well, that that's at least a data point. So yeah. unless there's another transaction, I could say like, yeah, that, yeah, that's where the market is. That is a data point. Yeah. But it's enough to say that everything is priced that way. I'm not sure. But what actually what's ha been happening is have has there been some distress and some discounted sales? Like, yes. Mm -hmm. But there have also been a lot of sales at still very low cap rates that haven't really been much of a discount yeah. um, because they're like 1031s or whatever the case may be. So like there's still some like high prices. I uh, bet that there's some analysis, let's see, to use it generally. Uh, generously uh and and pr because i'm guessing that i mean the market's dominated by people that are holding their assets and not ones that are selling it at a 10 percent discount um now i think that it can be possible to acknowledge these declining valuations without running away from them completely um now whether they're right or, or not or whether or they're inaccurate the fact of the matter is like people need to face facts and and realize like well with interest rates this high Price has got to go down. Yeah, um, and that I, makes sense. And I think that like if the it's a, if and when the properties sell, which which, which yeah. again I, I think it's when we start seeing more sales volume, I think we can be more specific on this. That's right. The prices are. I think it's reasonable to say you know they should be down relative to interest rates though. Yeah, and so my big question is, what kind of action can people take? Um, I think gambling on rates to go lower or gambling on a rapid action by the Fed, that's going to be a bad bet outside of a dramatic economic crisis. And at that point, it might be a bet, uh, not a bet worth chasing, period, because uh, you're, you've got a crisis to deal with. It doesn't really matter what yeah. rates are. Um, my question, my real big question here is how to prepare for a, co a coming wave of loan maturities. What can investors actually do right now other than wait? Yeah. Um, do you do you kind of get your capital prepared and ready to strike? Do you start talking with syndicators that are waiting to pounce on these opportunities? What kind of actions can you do? Because I think that there are actions and not acting yeah. is in itself an action. Yeah. But I think that there is a perspective and a frame of mind that you have to get in that's not just wait and see, sit on your hands. It's yeah. more like poised. Yeah. 
Well, I, I can tell I can tell you what we're doing, Matt. Um, you know, I, I can't speak for all syndicators other than just observations of what people are doing um, and what could be happening. Um, there's a lot of pushes and pulls and and um, incentives in this industry for doing a deal and what we should do. Mm-hmm. What I think, what a sponsor should do, also LPs and investors in general, it's the same stance. Um, and, and it's to take a, a very tight but aggressive posture of you're not out of the market. Mm-hmm. You're not not doing deals. But I think it is appropriate to increase your return criteria yeah. to a point where you are receiving an adequate premium on the risk you're taking. Mm-hmm. My perception is that there's more risk in the market today okay. than there was a yep. couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I need to be compensated. The way the macro environment looks and appears is an environment where I need to be compensated with cash flow. Mm-hmm. Just like we talked about the, the Newmark bullet point earlier, the return is going away from appreciation. Yep. When it was all about appreciation and cap rate compression, you could justify a low, low cash flow, you know, mid mm-hmm. single digits, low single digits even, because you're like, well, we're going to compress cap rates, we're going to get a big pop. Um, or we're going to do a big value add and we're going to get a big pop, which can still work in some cases. It's harder and harder yeah. to get the right price by the right deal, right opportunity. We don't, we're not, we don't have those luxuries of just the market working out in our favor. Mm-hmm. And so by buying on real in-place cash flow that we know is going to occur and having our return more weighted towards cash flow, that gives us a significant amount of, I guess, cushion is mm-hmm. one way to call it. I call it like headroom. Yeah. Because if something goes wrong, whether it's our fault or the market, or whatever, there's a lot of room, wiggle room that we can inc- we can kind of work around. Yeah. So if we're not hitting our 10% cash on cash, but we're hitting 8%, okay, we're, we still got, we still have room. We still have a lot of headroom versus, oh, I, I missed by 4% and now I'm at 2% or 1% or mm-hmm. I'm at break even. Yeah. It's much skinnier. Um, so I'm holding, I'm, I'm setting my criteria where I'm getting an appropriate risk uh, a premium on the risk I'm taking. Mm-hmm. So like instead of hitting a 6% cash on cash out of the gate, I want to hit an 8% plus. Yeah. Of averaging eight, I want to average 10. IRR is still around 15%. That doesn't really change. You know, shooting for like uh, um, an IRR north of 15. Mm-hmm. It's not, but not accepting less than a 15. Where in the yeah. past couple of years, you know, a solid 14 would get us, cl- you know, okay, we feel okay. And a lot of groups would go down to 12. Mm-hmm. Things to look out for is FOMO. Yeah. Especially from a syndicator and a sponsor because there's so many fee, there's so many incentives to do a deal. Now, an investor can have an incentive to do a deal because they got cash on the sideline, they're getting anxious and they want to pull the trigger on something. Mm-hmm. Everyone feels that. A syndicator feels that or a sponsor feels that just from like, yeah, I want a deal. Sure, they want a deal. I want to do something. Yeah. But they also don't really get paid unless they get a deal. And if they've got staff, they're thinking, how am I going to pay those salaries? How do I keep the lights on? And the way that we've been doing that, and what most groups do is through deal fees, through acquisition fees. So you have to ask yourself, one, there's a FOMO of, I got to do a deal. I see someone else doing a deal. I got to get back in the market. Yeah. There's also like, I need, I need the fees to put food on the table of my team. Yeah. And that can be a strong incentive to do the wrong deal. Mm-hmm. So I, I think not giving into FOMO 
and sticking to your d- guns, getting ready to do a deal when it is the right deal that makes sense. You've done the due diligence. Yep. You go hard and aggressive at it when you, in your pursuit and execute the business plan. But it, it's not, it's not an environment to be taken, um, you know, ringers and, and, and just hoping it works out and, and yep. speculating on a lot of growth and like, Hey, you know, you know, we know this is going to work because it's a good location yeah, or this is a good market. Um, that's what I was just thinking. We're going we're gonna to grow out of it. There's no, the whole idea of growing out of it, will that happen in some cases? Like, absolutely. But I also guarantee the people who are going to get burned are the people who are who whose plan was to grow out of it. Yeah. So again, you can take that stance of I'm going to do a deal, we're going to grow out of it. But you just have to understand you're taking on more risk. And so like, for example, I'm going to do it. Let's say like, no, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm doing value add deals. Like, I can use negative leverage because I'm doing value add. We're going to force the appreciate. Well, yeah. We're all doing that to a degree. Yeah. Right? Oh, we're going to buy deep discount. Great. But the reality is a lot of these guys aren't even buying a deep discount. Mm-hmm. Putting a lot of money in may or may not be able to get that risk or they may not be able to get the return on that renovation. Where in the past, someone else would come in and buy at a low cap rate because like, oh, well, it's, cap rates have compressed and I'll be able to do it again. But you're not going to get that that buyer, you know, within two years again. Yeah. Like that, that's what's gone away. And so yeah, where people have been saved, people recently is they don't execute well in their value add plan they still sell it and make a big pop Mm -hmm. so you can not fail but you can not achieve your value add like business plan and still have been a winner yeah but now if it's you not only you have to own the whole process and the results you need to own the five years holding of the property after you've done the work You've done the work, you've renovated the units, now you're going to operate it. Mm-hmm. And it's that operating piece that's been missing. So yeah. so be careful of the FOMO. Don't just do a deal because it's been a while since you've done a deal. We're getting calls from investors all the time like, hey, when's your next deal coming out? Like, you don't want me, you don't, you don't, you don't want us just to do any deal. Mm-hmm. And you have, as a sponsor, you have to almost, you know, look at your kind of top line revenue and what, and what you want to hit. And obviously you got to be aware of it. You almost have to kind of brush it aside. You can't be thinking about that when you're looking about doing a deal. Yeah. You have, when you're looking at doing a deal, this is the way I look at it. I'm on, I don't like, I, I, I do not look at the GP returns at all until like it's, we were, until we've already made a decision to do a deal. Then I'm, we've already got the structure. So we know it kind of generally what it all like looks, you know, looks like. But I'm looking at what the cash flow to LPs are, you know, what all the return metrics, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at it from an LP and what I get excited to put money into it because I am going to put my own money in and I'm going to get my friends and family, we're all, we're going to put money in, we're going to put, we're going to allocate capital into a deal that makes sense. Yep. And so it's like, is this deal a deal that we can get really excited about? I want to do deals I get excited about that are really good deals and- because I believe that by building a reputation on doing just like the best deals and having quality over quantity will eventually serve us better because we can have a reputation of only doing high quality deals. Yeah. And I just, from a lot of groups that I really admire and respect, I see the machine, once the machine gets built, mm-hmm. just the machine gets turned on and it doesn't do a great job of discernment, especially as it grows and you've got a lot of stuff going on, deals just get done to do deals. Yeah. And I've said this a ton of times to the team. 
you've heard me say a lot, Matt. Mm-hmm. Like, when I started, when I brought on, you know, Jay as first person we hired, the, literally the first thing I told him was, we're not here to, we're never going to do a deal just to do a deal. Yeah. And like, I remember that being the first thing I told him. Mm-hmm. I, uh, yeah. I mean, I think that in, in this to look at, you got to look at these as, as investments. And, and I almost think that like looking at a boring, something that may not be in a growing place, but like just like a, a boring place that a boring property that has cash flow. Yes. Yeah. That might be a, a lot. I want it to be, I want it to be growing. Yeah. That, that that's the only where I would differ from you, but no, I agree. Place it's like it doesn't have to be sexy. Yeah, and like if you go at the sexier deals, like are rarely the ones that have like the great returns. And unless it's so sexy, unless you're banking on appreciation and you're banking on someone thinks it's sexier than you are, and you're waiting, yeah. it's, it's the great what it's a greater fool fallacy. Yeah, whatever. yeah, that's that's what you're relying on, which happens a lot. Mm-hmm. But um. If we acknowledge that maybe we're in a, a different environment, or we're gonna at least going to be in an environment, a different environment for the next couple of years, well, that'll yeah. return like absolutely, and it's going to probably re- return within a couple of years, within ten years, because these things always go through cycles. Mm-hmm. We're typically in a period of, you know, a little over exuberance, even though we think things are bad. Like things are usually better than they are. Like, yeah, correlate. Like, there's more up days in the stock market than down days. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a time to be cautious, and you know, in, if you. If you missed the last week's episode on the Great Report, go back and listen to that. And I don't know. I don't think I don't, I don't think we've clipped it out yet, Matt. About the our story about the investor well, it's coming out today. It's coming out today. Yeah. So check it out. Um, about the investor who was talking to us, and they were talking to another syndicator, and they, they chose the other syndicator basically because we wouldn't promise them the moon and the stars. Yeah. End yeah. of the day. And you want to just be careful that you're not just looking for what you want to hear. Yeah. Um, and it's more about aligning your goals and just the way you look at um, the economy and investing and, and just how you would handle money um, or just a style that aligns with you. And um, so for the LP or the sponsor, just be thinking about FOMO. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, like we talked about this a lot, we've been this similar story of like prices don't make sense. It's hard to find deals. That's been going on for almost a year now, m- yeah. more than a year. Mm-hmm. And it's frustrating. If you've got money sitting on the sidelines, you want to get that to work. It's hard to get the money off to work. When is that, when is that go time? Yeah. And all this being said, there, there is risk in inaction too, because your point, Matt, inaction is a choice in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, you know, you're choosing to allocate those funds and assuming, ca- assuming you're putting it in cash. You know, in, into treasuries, you know, rather than investing into apartments. Yeah. With treasuries yielding, you know, maybe 5%, I don't think that, I think that makes sense. Yeah. So I, I would, I would, for now, for me, I would skip on the marginal deals. And again, if, if there, there, maybe there's a chance that those marginal deals end up being good deals and the market just goes up and everything is, just, you know, we just missed it, Matt. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it's like we're 2020 all over again. And people are waiting for the prices to just fall and drop, and they don't. They just they, they skyrocket. Yeah. The probability of ha- that happening two times in a row without a correction yeah. within a five-year period um, is possible, but I think statistically pretty improbable. Yeah. So I, I, don't, I don't see as like we're, we're going to miss on a potential ton of upside by sticking to our guns and, mm-hmm. and, and really going off fundamentals. Now is the time to be 
Sick fundamentals. I think it, I wonder if a little bit of the sluggishness of the market and and this kind of protracted hope that that the market's going to get back is because they people went through the pandemic was like, well, look at all those people that sat on their hands during the pandemic and the market just did great. So it's going to do the same thing now. Well, but the interest yeah, rates are different. But the, yeah, it's a different environment. I mean, we think about that too. I'm like, if we would have sat around during the whole pandemic, we would have lost out on a ton of tons of great opportunities. There are also people who bought, you know, in 21, who were like, man, I'm glad they're on the sideline anymore. And they put floating rate dead on and they thought that they were a genius. Yeah. And now they're looking at it. They're like, Oof, yeah, I messed yeah. Up. So I think, I think time gives us a little perspective on things. Well, Matt, these are gr- excellent, excellent set of reports. Once again, hop over to sign up for the newsletter though. Yeah. GreatCapitalLLC.com slash newsletter. We appreciate you watching this video. Make sure you've um, given us a like and you're subscribed. That way you're going to get hooked into all the new content. Um, we've got, I, I meant to mention this earlier, Matt, we've got a um, live webinar. Mm-hmm. YouTube live. It's a webinar. But yep. It's on YouTube. It's a live on Good. YouTube. But it's also a webinar. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's about <laughs> this upcoming um, fascinating report on commercial real estate loan maturity, specifically multifamily, but you know, a little bit of all commercial real estate. It's, it's the first report of this kind that's, that's being released by Great Capital. Um, it's going to be released June 7th, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's going to, is it going to make news? Is it going to break the news cycle? Sure. That's yet to be seen, but we're going to be doing a, a nice little YouTube live to cover it. Um, and we're going to be talking about the great report, I'm sure. Um, so just stay tuned for that. Um, we've got, a, we've got some events coming up. Just stay in touch with us. Follow us on yeah. the social medias. Um, leave a comment. We'll get back to you. Um, we got to do that in the next episode. We got a couple of comments. We got to respond to people. Okay. Yeah, totally. We got to do that. Thanks again. Catch you in the next report.